Well, we're in a series called Big Church. Actually, we're going to finish it up this morning, mostly looking at the book of Acts. We're going to go a little different direction this morning. Uh, we're going to talk about big answers. Now, started the question each week, the same question, how did the church survive the first century with all the persecution and all the odds against them? And natural historians can't figure it out. They scratch their head. Doesn't make sense. Uh, the only thing that really makes sense, or the best answer, is what we've been studying in the book of Acts, that this guy named Jesus was truly who he said he was, uh, the Son of God, the Messiah, that we killed him, and he came back to life. He was resurrected, and a whole bunch of people saw him. And so with that empathis, empathis, whatever it is, empathis, that's the word I want, um, the church was born. And the church, was, it wasn't a building, it wasn't an organization, it was a movement centered around that fact that Jesus was who he said he was. He was resurrected, an event in history. And it quickly became persecuted, the church became persecuted, mostly by the Jewish authorities, and um, they tried to stamp it out, it just had the opposite effect, it spread the church. And the leaders, instead of being shutting up and being quiet, they spoke even more boldly. And then this guy came along. He was committed to stamping out the church. We know him as Saul initially. He was transformed by the power of God into Paul, who wrote half the New Testament. But he went around the Greek and Roman world establishing these little, we call them ecclesias or little churches. And we call them the first missionary. Anyway, um, How'd the church get past then? How did it survive under persecution from the Jewish authorities as well as the Roman Empire that controlled the world at that day? In fact, in 300 or so years, it became the religion of the Roman Empire. Mind-boggling. How? How could that happen? So that's what we've been talking about. We're going to change a little bit today. We're going to talk about does the church really matter today? All right, it's still around 2,000 years later. A third of the world, about a third of the world, claims that they believe this stuff. <laughs> so does it still matter? Does the message of the church still matter? Um, we've grown up here, most of us. We've grown up here. And so we take a lot for granted. We don't understand the impact that Christianity has had on our nation, and our culture. So I want to give you an outsider's perspective. This comes from a guy named David Aikman. He was a the Time magazine writer. Centered his, uh, his area was China, and he was in Peking. And for years, he, he would interview people like Billy Graham and so forth. And he was interviewing a Chinese... Um, Let's bring that first slide up, something he wrote. Yeah. Chinese social scientist. So this is a guy, an intellectual, uh, a communist, a Maoist, who is studying our culture, our society, trying to figure out why we are as successful as we are. Consequently, figuring that out will help them be successful. Now, this goes back initially about 30 years. And this goes uh, a 20-year study that the communist Chinese did of our society and our culture. So I'll give you 
three or four things that this, this man said, they observed. They understood from us. One of the things we asked looking at, into was what accounted for the success, in fact, the preeminence of the West all over the world. So it's just Western Europe as well as, as the United States. We studied everything. We could, could from historical, political, economic, or political, economic, and cultural perspective. So they looked at all aspects of our society. At first, we thought it was because you had more powerful guns than we had, you know, bigger ships and airplanes and, and military. Then we thought it was because you had the best political system. Now, some of us might argue with that, but anyway. Next, we focused on the economic system. You know, we got all this economic resources and power. But in these past 20 years, we have realized that the heart of your culture, again, this is a communist telling, writing this, or, or saying this, is your religion predominantly Christianity? That is why the West has been so powerful. Now, we don't think that way, do we? We just think it is our, our military and our political system and our economy. But we don't understand. They were trying to figure out what is the secret sauce? What is the thing that makes us so successful? So consequently, they want to import it into their culture, right? Well, they're not, certainly not going to import Christianity, but anyway. They, this is their observation. The Christian moral foundation of the social and cultural life was what made possible the emergence of capitalism and then the successful transition to democratic politics. They, we, don't have any doubt about this. You and I may have doubts about that, but the communist Chinese don't. That is the moral foundation. Uh, the secret to our success as a society and as a culture. Now, he mentioned capitalism. Capitalism can fail. Why has capitalism been so successful in our culture? It's because it's capitalism with a conscience, with a moral foundation, with, a moral, with, with values. When you add capitalism with moral values, you get success. Now, they even saw this in China. They, they would observe some of the royal rural areas of China where the missionaries, Christian missionaries had come and started churches and they would observe that these, these villages would have a, uh, a different feel, they, a different atmosphere. They, these, these villages would have less drug abuse and they'd have less crime and they had more um, successful families and businesses. So they even saw it in, in, in the Chinese culture. So question again is then, does the church or the message of the church really matter? Because we think all of this just came naturally. You know, it's just how our countries evolved, right? It just all came naturally. And we, we think what we think is right and what's wrong, everybody thinks is right and wrong. But no, 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 no. You, you ever look at other cultures, uh, some African cultures and some Muslim cultures, and communist cultures, where if you steal something, they cut your hand off. No, we don't do that, do we? Um, abuse of children and, and women in particular. And they just go in and just kill a whole, a whole, whole, whole village. And we think, that's crazy. How can people think that way? 
Well, we're going to find out here in a minute why people can think that way. The question is, why don't we think that way? And it's again, the Chinese figured it out. It's because we have a Christian foundation. It's eroding, obviously, but a Christian foundation. So in reality, what comes naturally is what? Nature is what? It's violent. It's hurricanes and it's tornadoes and it's, it's uh, uh, COVID and it's, you know, malaria and other, other diseases. That's what nature is. So in nature, put this on your outline, the biggest and the baddest are first. So we call the lions king of the jungle, right? Because they have no predators. So the lion kills what it wants, it eats what it wants, and then, you know, maybe the jackals can come and eat, eat the leftovers. The lion doesn't say, oh, jackals, you come and eat first. Why not? Because they're bigger and badder than the jackals. So, human nature. What is human nature? We would say human nature is lying and stealing and adultery and murder. Kind of the opposite of Ten Commandments, right? <laughs> That's human nature. That's what we would do if there weren't laws against it or we wouldn't get caught if we did it. Um, uh, or our spouse wouldn't get upset, or, or whatever it might be. That's human nature. So the church comes along. The teachings of the church say, we don't have to live like that. We don't have to think that way. We can overcome what's natural. So what if there was a group of people that say, no, we're not going to do what's natural. We would say, we're going to do what's supernatural. We're going to live differently. We're not going to treat people that way. And that's what the church is. The church should be. So we're going to look at something Paul wrote. I mentioned Paul earlier. He's writing to church in Galatia, and he's going to give us this contrast. And I just think it's fascinating. So this is Galatians chapter 5. He says this, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your life, or walk by the Spirit, some translations say. All right. Holy Spirit guide my life. <clears throat> then, what happened? then I won't be doing what my sinful nature craves. So, my sinful nature, it's, it, it's not pretty. Um, sometimes I think we dumb down the word sinful. So, I, I got to think, maybe we ought to call it wicked. That's a little more, has a little more oomph to it, doesn't it? My wicked nature craves. So, he's going to say, okay, there's this conflict. He, he goes on. The sinful nature wants to do evil or wicked, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. They, want, they want stuff that is pure and holy. Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. But this one, human nature, selfish, sinful nature wants this. The Holy Spirit wants this, the opposite, right? These two forces are constantly fighting each other so you're not free to carry out your good intentions, which would be the Spirit's intentions, right? So we don't automatically do what's good, that's what's right, do we? It's not um, natural for us. Now, let me just say this, though. Sometimes we think they're equal. They're not equal. That's blasphemy. think that the human nature is as powerful as the Spirit of God. So we have no excuse for when we, when we don't want the Spirit of God lead. Uh, those of us who are Jesus followers. So when you follow, you can follow Jesus or you can choose to follow the desires of your sinful nature. 
And he says, the results are clear. It's obvious what's the nature we're following. How do we know? Well, he's going to give us a list here. Sexual immorality is first and foremost, no matter how you define that. Everybody has a, some line they would call sexual immorality. Uh, impurity, kind of the same idea. Lustful pleasures. Uh, some translations say debauchery. We don't really use that word anymore. What does that mean? Well, it means that <clears throat> do whatever you want to do. Whatever we'd say feels good. The interesting thing about this list is <laughs> we know people that are doing these things. In fact, we know people looking in the mirror that do these things, right? So anything goes. We have an example. We have examples in culture. Um, Roman Empire was an example. Started out great, and then it became to a place where it was what? Following lustful pleasures, and most historians will tell you that was the beginning of their downfall. There are other cultures also. We might say it's going to be it's the beginning of our downfall, right? Um, I, uh, idolatry. I'm going to talk about this a little bit because I think most of us think oh, an idol is you know some little statue, and I I'm worshiping this little statue. No, no, no. Idolatry is way bigger than that. So I give me, I'm going to give you a definition of idolatry. Idolatry is when stuff has greater value than people. Not picking on anybody, but uh, if you've got a nice car, parents, and your kids scratch it, and you yell at them and demean them because they scratched your car, guess what? You just made an idol of your car. That's why I drive an old car. <laughs> you can speed up, I don't care. <laughs> Been there, done that, though, when my kids have done something to something I valued and I yelled at them or demeaned them, and then I'm, what I'm saying, this thing is a bit more valued to me than you. It's ugly, isn't it? Idolatry? It's ugly. All right, that's just one of the things in the list. Uh, let's get back to the list. So idolatry, outbursts of anger, getting a little personal, right? Um, I, I skipped a couple. Sorcery, that's, you know, trying to tap into evil spiritual forces. Hostility, Quarreling, jealousy. Jealousy is a biggie. Um, ladies, some of you are jealous of skinny ladies, right? Just, you just are. Guys, you, you're jealous of somebody who drives a nicer car than you. Preachers, we're jealous of pastors that have bigger churches and, and are more famous than us. It's another ugly one, isn't it? It's an ugly list, actually. Right? Jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, Division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. So this is not the end of the list. The list could go on. It's basically et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's a long list of evidence of the sinful nature. Now, what is it about us that it's hard for us to celebrate other people's success? When I say you see you driving a nice shiny car, why am I jealous of you? Why don't I say, why shouldn't I feel, hey, that's great that God's provided you a nice shiny new car. Why don't we think that way? It's our sinful nature, right? And then the next verse is a little disturbing to most of us if you're a Jesus follower. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, I, wait a minute, I thought I was going to inherit the kingdom of God. Well, the best way I understand this is if this becomes 
your practice. This is, this is what you do all the time. This is what you work at doing, <laughs> practicing doing. Then most likely the Spirit of God's not in you. So consequently, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Um, so, how do we deal with this? Well, how does a society deal with this? Do you know what society has to do? Because of all of our sinful natures? It passes laws, right? So we don't go around killing people and raping people and, and, and so forth. So we have all these laws. And one reason you and I are as good as we are is because of laws. Left to our own, you and I are just bad, aren't we? So, does the church or the message of the church really matter? Left to our own devices, we just read the list, pretty ugly, right? But there's an option. But the fruit of the Spirit, we don't have to live according to the lusts of the flesh, but of the Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is what energized the early church. Remember, the Holy Spirit came down and Pentecost happened and 3,000 people got saved and 5,000 people got saved. And the Holy Spirit is responsible for the church existing for 2,000 years, right? The Spirit of God indwelling people. That's what the church is. And what the Holy Spirit does, it informs our conscience. So in my mind, I think, well, that's, I want to do that, but that's, that's wicked, that's bad, that's sinful. Without the Holy Spirit, oh, that's bad, but I'm going to do it anyway, right? So it informs our conscience. In fact, I put on your outline. Even if there wasn't any laws, you and I would do the right thing because our conscience, the Holy Spirit, says, oh, no, lying's wrong. Raping people's wrong. Killing people's wrong. So we don't have to have laws against that. In fact, Paul's going to say that's fascinating. So we got the list. <laughs> Of the sinful flesh, right? Well, Paul says, okay. But the Holy Spirit produces something completely different. It produces this kind of fruit. Now, notice the word is fruit, not fruits. So the Holy Spirit ought to, in you and I ought to demonstrate all these characteristics, not just some of us. Some of us tend to think, well, you know, yeah, I got some of these. The others, not so much. No, 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 no. The evidence of the Holy Spirit is all nine of these things. The other thing you and I tend to do is what? Yeah, yeah. my spouse needs to do better at this list than I do. My kids or my parents. No, 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 no. Let's just make this, you know, about yourself. And the list starts with love, which basically includes it all. But what is love? Love is basically you first. What is sinful nature? It's selfish. It's me first. So the other way... I put you first <laughs> is I have to go against my human nature. And that's what the Holy Spirit produces in you and I. Joy, joy is kind of, joy and happiness are connected. We're going to talk about that for the next five or six weeks. So we'll leave that one out for this morning. Peace, peace. I think we underestimate peace. Hopefully nobody won't be included in this, but the statistics say a lot of married people have affairs. Never had one, but I can guarantee you somebody that's having an affair does not have peace, do they? And if you've ever had one, maybe you can tell me about that later. You might be following the sinful nature, but you're not going to have peace. 
Patience is a big one. We all, I think, probably struggle at times with patience. Somebody had a T-shirt on this morning with the word kindness or kind on it. I said, isn't that a great word? I have some of the older people, including myself, we've just lost kindness in our culture, haven't we? It's just it's gone away. Goodness is a, kind of a similar word. We don't see much goodness and kindness anymore. We do some, but it just doesn't seem the same. Faithfulness is a huge word. Faithfulness in marriage, faithfulness to jobs. I got thinking about the statistics say at least a third of people that were going to church, attending church before COVID, don't go anymore. So I'm thinking, wait, wait, wait a minute. What happened to faithfulness to the church? It doesn't have to be to me or to my church, but the church is God's church. Jesus started it. It's his idea. This, the church is the one that's brought the gospel from day one to day 2000, year 2000. What has happened to faithfulness to the church? Faithfulness to anything. Uh, gentleness, another word that we don't see a lot anymore. And then self-control. Now, self-control is, is, is huge. It's big. I came across this suggestion. I thought, that would be wonderful. What if we had self-control month? Not six months, not years. Just, all right, everybody's going to practice self-control for a month. What's it going to look like? Most of us, would, probably all of us, would be healthier. We'd probably lose some weight. Our marriages would be great. Our families would be great. Self-control month. Our finances would certainly be better, wouldn't they? So, Paul has this list. He doesn't put etc. on this list. It's interesting. But then what he says next is just so brilliant. There is no law against these things. Do you have to have a law said, up, oh, got to stop loving people. Up, oh, you got to stop having joy, too much joy, getting out of hand, you know, too much kindness, too much goodness, oh, got to have a law against that. You don't have to have a law against these things, do you? I got to think about marriage. The greater the relationship, I've talked about this before, the greater the relationship, less need of rules. So you get married and you don't know each other very well and so, you know, you try, I don't say rules or just preferences maybe, a better word. And so I'll just give you an example from our life. My wife for, for years told me, I wish you would put the toilet seat down after you've been there. And it, it, that's not a big deal to me. Why, why, anyway, so one day I just, my wife would appreciate it if I put the toilet seat down. So a little light comes on and I decide I'll start putting the toilet seat down. All right, so there's no, you know, law or preference to have to do that anymore. I just, because I love my wife and it makes her happy, I, I do it. And so the greater the relationship, the less, less need of, of rules or laws. One way to say it's this way. It's on your outline. <clears throat> it's not all about me. It's all about you. Why? Well, the Savior made it all about me. He left heaven, came to earth, dealt with all our crap, died, tortured and died. So I might have a relationship with Almighty God. It's all about me. How powerful is that? That's the message of the gospel. Now, little caveat, 
We're not better than anybody else. People out there sometimes say that we think we are, or we act like we are. We're, no, 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 no. We're not better than anybody else. But because of God, our way of life is better. Love, joy, peace, patience, that's a lot better than the sinful flesh. And so we see the church back in the early first century. They're the ones that took in the orphans and took care of the sick. But we even see it today. In fact, we have a local pastor who's adopted not one, but two, not just foreign children, but handicapped children. Who does that? Why? Because we see every child as made, every person made in the image of God and of value. So, on your outline, who else are going to say, love your enemies, do good to those that mistreat you, uh, serve one another, forgive one another, all those things that the gospel says. Who has, who, who's who's going to say that if we don't say it? So, we have the message of eternal life in Jesus. Our sins can be forgiven and we can have eternity in heaven. But we also have a message of a better life. So, we say abortion is not the solution. I have a neighbor. Um, pro-abortion. But he said this to me, and I thought this was fascinating. He said, nobody likes it. I kind of disagree with that. I think some people do. But he even realized it's a, it's a nasty thing. So what would happen if the church disappears? Well, look at parts of the world where there isn't much of a church. That's what it would look like. Sinful human nature would prevail. So the power of the gospel is the power to transform lives. Want to see the, the opposite? Study communist countries. And the inhumanity to man is in those cultures. Where they try and stamp out Gospels, stamp out Christianity. Let me tell you a story about a pretty famous pastor who died a few years ago, um, Adrian Rogers, had a big church in, in Memphis. And uh, he tells this story, fascinating. He's on his airplane and uh, he sits down, he pulls out his Bible, big black Bible, starts reading it. Well, you don't get your seat by yourself on a plane, so he's got a guy sitting next to him, he's reading a magazine. So the time goes by after a while, and he's still reading his Bible. So this guy says, excuse me, mind if I ask you a question? He says, no, 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 go ahead. He said, why do you read the Bible? Now, I recounts this story. I'm fascinated because you think somebody like Adrian Rogers would have an answer just like that. But he's thinking, okay, this is my chance, right? To make an impact for Jesus in this guy's life. So what, what am I going to say? So he thought about it, and he said this. In this book, I find the solution to the three biggest problems in life. And he listed them. Sin, sorrow, and death. That's all he said. I went back to reading his magazine. Times go by, and the guy said, oh, excuse me, can I talk to you a minute? He said, sure, sure. He said, um, I've been thinking about it. I'm trying to find something that doesn't fit under sin, sorrow, death. And I can't find anything. I want to know more about your Bible. 
does what we do matter? Absolutely. We have no idea how important it is that we represent Jesus in this world, in this culture. One thing that's really been disappointing in my lifespan is that we've withdrawn from culture. We can't. can't let it. We are to impact culture, not let culture impact us. What we do, what we stand for, matters more than we'll ever know. So, your little assignment for next week. You and I are supposed to demonstrate all those aspects of the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but me, I'm a little weak in some of those. So, kind of do a little, take a few minutes, examine, say, okay, yeah, I need the Spirit of God to uh, work in my area of patience a little bit. I tend to get impatient or, or whatever it might, might be. Pray that you do that. Again, looking forward to next week. Invite some people to tune in or come along. Let me pray with you and then we'll have a closing song. Ah, Father God, thank you. We thank you that you transform us. <laughs> That's an ugly list that we can avoid. And what a great list that your Spirit wants to produce in us. Thank you for that. Thank you for that quality of life. Thank you that we have a better life, that we are not slaves to our sinful nature. That's huge. That's powerful. And God, that's the message we need to share. There's a lost and dying world. So many people don't know. They're trapped in that. They're seeking happiness for one thing, but we know the answer is Jesus. So anyone that's not accepted that gift, we pray today would be the day. It's simple. I'm a sinner, Jesus. I need a Savior. Father God, thank you that your Spirit dwells in us. It doesn't stay in this building or it's in a temple somewhere. It's in us. It empowers us. We thank you for what we call the Christian life the joy and peace it brings. In your name we pray, amen.